Hello and welcome to CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. I'm joined, as always, by Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish on the Twitter. Apparently, I did not respond to something he sent to me this week. I apologize. Uh, it's been a busy week for me. Twitter's kind of gone on the back burner. And, of course, the owner and proprietor of the CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Nick, how's it going? Oh, well, you know, I, I first and foremost have to uh, apologize to my fellow Atlanta Braves fans. I hadn't wow. watched the Braves game in uh, months, just been wrapped up with too much college football stuff. So I uh, turned the game on Monday and uh, Braves had a lead, was looking pretty good. And uh, since then, you know, <laughs> things have not gone well. So uh, my fault, everybody. Sorry about that. <laughs> what a time to watch the games. It's, what a time. It, Nick, you're you're gonna take the you're gonna take the blame for giving up uh Fulton Average giving up seven in the first inning or whatever it was. I mean I know they ended up with like nine, but <laughs> ten. But you know, whatever. Oh, they, they put up a ten spot, they put up a dime on us in the first but uh, you know. Well let's talk about college. Let's football. get into college football, yeah. something we actually are good at in the state so, of change the subject. So what did I what did I miss on Twitter, Xavier? What 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 oh, was we can actually, we, important? We we can get to it when we talk about Oklahoma, Texas. Okay. So, All right. Mm. Uh, then we will uh keep it there. But uh week six, uh, Nick in review here. Uh obviously the games we picked here, Northwestern and Nebraska being the first one up, um, we thought that was going to be a little higher scoring than it actually wound up being because it was 13-10 to 10 Nebraska. Uh, Spielman got hurt. Adrian Martinez got hurt. How do you see this game go down? Well, it, it uh, you know, if you're a Nebraska fan, you probably feel pretty fortunate to get out of there with a win. And, and uh, though we did pick it a little higher, it kind of uh, came to fruition pretty similar, I think, to how we saw it playing out. We're, we're thinking that Northwestern would try to, uh, you know, make it a, a, a low-scoring game, make it ugly, and that's certainly what happened. Um, good to hear that both Martinez and Spillman seem to be practicing this week. Looks like they're uh, going to be able to bounce back pretty quick. But uh, for both of those guys to go down and to be able to, to get a win, uh, you know, you just have to count it and move on. Did you get to see any of this game, Xavier? I mean, it was kind of an ugly one. I was actually working this game at, this, at the time of this game. However, after watching it back, this was exactly the game I was hoping for for Northwestern fans. Um, it was it was it was one of those games where I was sitting there thinking as I was watching the reruns that man, Northwestern really should have walked away with a win here. This was the gritty, the you know tug it out kind of performance that they would get away with doing against a Nebraska team. And you know what? I'll tip my cap to Scott Frost. This might be the only time all year I say this, so knock on wood. But um, he was able to get it done in a game <laughs> in which I did not think he would be able to do it. When A.J. Martinez went out, I was like, okay, Northwestern, you got this. Obviously, I knew the outcome by that time. But, I mean, good job, Scott Frost. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Another game that uh, we picked here was Michigan State at Ohio State. 34 to 10 was the final. And the, the, I mean, you're right on it here, Nick. 37 to 17 was the predicted score. So, uh, fairly close to what you picked. I mean, not perfect, but pretty damn close. <laughs> well, can't, can't get a perfect, uh, final score every week, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, felt, felt pretty good about how that one played out as well. I mean, uh, Michigan State actually had a pretty decent start 
defensively, but uh, you know, a couple of early turnovers just really did not get out on the right foot offensively weren't able to capitalize and and uh, ohio state eventually just sort of wore them down wore them out and and the buckeyes are are good i mean they're uh they rank number three in our team performance ratings this year which is uh the average game grade we go through and give each uh team a grade based on a variety of statistical uh outcomes in each game and and, and uh so far according to our numbers they're the playing the third best in the country. So uh, this was another good performance for them, and and, uh, they are clicking, look like a a legitimate national title contender. And Justin Fields just putting up more and more stats for his Heisman campaign, right, Xavier? uh, Well, I mean, (laughs) 206, two touchdowns, one interception, not lighting it up. 61 and a a touchdown on the ground, too, though. (sighs) Okay, when you put it that way, that's exactly (laughs) pretty You know, I mean... That's what, if I do my math correctly, 277, three touchdowns and interceptions. Okay, cool. Uh, when I looked at this game and I was watching this game live, I, I kept thinking to myself that Michigan State was missing something offensively. And as the game wore on, they just didn't have enough. Ohio State continued to get the ball in, in great field position, and you can't give a team like that uh, even more opportunities to, to, to beat you by putting them at their own 40 most of the time because you're punting deep in your own end. Michigan State did the best they could defensively to start off. I think uh, a couple of busted plays is really what busted this game open. Obviously, the J.K. Dobbins run right before half. And, you know, it, it was it was, a, it was a microcosm of maybe about seven minutes in that second quarter where Ohio State just flexed his muscles and Michigan State had no answer. Um, I think if Michigan State had have played that second quarter better, we might be talking a little bit differently about how this game goes. For Ohio State, when I look at teams like Ohio State, I look at them in the grand view of things and how they would fare against another national championship contender. And I'm not ready to put that moniker on them just yet um, as a team that I could see in the national championship. But they're definitely a team that deserves to be where they are right now as far as rankings are concerned. Um, Moving over to the ACC game here. Nick, uh, Duke and uh, Pitt, uh, 33-30 over Duke in this game. Uh, I mean, how did how, how did this play out for you? This one was – it was a really strange game. Um, so I, I did actually get a chance to watch most of this, and, and uh, it looked like Pitt was just going to pull away. I mean, they, they uh, were up 19-3 to at halftime, and Duke just was – uh, not looking good at all offensively, just just struggling to move the football. Um, they were able to, to scratch and claw, get back in it, actually took a late lead. It uh, looked like Duke was going to be able to steal a win, but then Pitt, you know, drives back down, takes the lead in the, in the final minute and, and uh, escapes with a victory. So uh, did not see it playing out quite like this. Obviously we had Duke uh, projected to win and cover. So uh, an unexpected result according to our numbers, but uh, you know, that's going to happen when, when you've got, 10 total turnovers in the game, including six uh, from Duke. So a really weird game. Pitt fortunate to win, but uh, hey, a win's a win. And when you can get a conference win on the road, uh, that's a good thing. I I mean, when you look at this game, Duke, Pitt made it sloppy. Pitt made it, you know, very tough on Duke early on. They got to the quarterback a bunch. 
Um, I don't think Quinn Harris had a clean pocket all night. And by the time Duke really got back into the game, even though they took the lead at the time, I think they expended themselves about uh, as much as they possibly could at that point. I think it was really I give I tip my cap a lot to Kenny Pickett in this game because it's one thing to, you know, blow out a team on the road. It's another thing to to go up 19 to 3 and then have to battle back after losing the lead. And on top of that, he was asked to throw the ball 48 times, which is something that he hasn't done all season, I believe. Um I don't think he's thrown over 30 plus passes all year. Um but to throw almost 50 passes and to not you know, do something out of your character and still be able to get it done on the road in an ACC game that they desperately need to stay in contention for that side of the conference. Tip, good job to Pittsburgh. It was a weird game, though, Nick. It was a really weird game. You, would Would you guys consider this more of uh, Duke winning or, 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 excuse me, Pitt winning or Duke losing? <sighs> <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, anytime you, you turn the football over six times, uh, that that it's team tends to lead towards uh, you, you lost the game, but, um, but, you know, give Duke some credit. They were able to fight back and take a lead. Uh, but the, the early hole that they dug just was, was uh, too big, made it too uh, thin, a margin of error. And, and uh, you know, the defense wasn't able to, the defense, which actually paid, played pretty well most mm-hmm. of the night and, and forced four turnovers, uh, just had no room for error on that last drive. And Pitt was able to to take it down and score. And, and we saw some similar things uh, actually in, in other games as well. The Miami-Virginia Tech game played out very similarly. <laughs> so uh, just, just kind of weird. But yeah, long answer. I, I think Duke probably lost it um, just because, you know, you turned the ball over six times. I mean, that, I mean, that Miami game was one of the ugliest <laughs> games you'll ever see, you know? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, you know, uh, Jaron Williams, three picks in the first quarter, and then, oh, he's got an upper body injury. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Uh, so do you think he's lost a job down there, or, is, or do you think they, they play him next week against Virginia? He's, he's or not this starting this week. Yeah, okay. I, and they're, call, they're calling it with an injury. You know, a uh, he's not starting because of a, you know, pectoral injury or something. Is what they're saying. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is an injury, and I'm just being a curmudgeonly old man who sees uh, something <laughs> like this happen, and I'm I'm going, yeah, right. But uh, m- maybe that is the way it is. But I, you know, I, I I have my doubts. So what about Oregon State, Nick, pounding UCLA? Stupid UCLA can't figure out who they are this <laughs> team, this year. Uh, it, it's driving me nuts. Uh, but. Oregon State forty-eight to thirty-one. The offense has been great for them the whole year, but I thought Oregon State had one of the worst defenses in college football. And uh, UCLA obviously playing without DTR, but DTR was horrific until Washington State let him look good. So I didn't know that they'd be taking such a step back going to Burton, and it looks like they did. Well, I mean, the, uh, this this game also played out. Uh, really kind of weird. UCLA went for it on a fourth and one uh, pretty deep in its own territory, like on its 30-yard oh, yeah. line <laughs> the first quarter and missed it. And uh, Oregon State punched it in real quick uh, at that point. I, Oregon State, I think, went down and drove uh, drove for a touchdown on the, the first uh, offensive possession. Then that happened on their first defensive possession. Um, and then uh, right afterward, Oregon State... Uh, 
does a drop kick onside kick, recovers it, mm-hmm. and goes down one play, twenty-seven yards, and all of a sudden, not you know, we're five minutes into the game and they're up twenty-one nothing. And at that point, I mean, <laughs> just the you're completely off script. Uh, you know, th- things like that just just don't happen very often. So, uh, UCLA was pretty fortunate to be able to to come back and make this thing close uh, early second. Uh, second half, but uh, yeah, Oregon State came out and, and just you know said this is what we're going to do. Executed their plan and and uh, came away with a big win, big big Pac-12 win for for the Beavs. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a nice win here, uh, Xavier. What did you think about this Pac-12 matchup? All right, we're gonna skip over completely the fact that Nick just said the Beavs. I don't think anybody's ever called Oregon State the Beavs. The Beavs. That's what, yeah, the Beavers. Yeah. They, they really call really okay. You know what? Pacific that, Northwest. That's like uh, the uh, Colorado and so uh, the Buffs. they call them the Pokes. The, yeah. the Pokes. Okay, one sounds yeah. one sounds really nice. The other one sounds like what happens to food after it goes bad. Um, <laughs> he gets but, the Beavs. <laughs> UCLA did exactly what you guys kind of asked them to do last week after we talked about their game last week. And they gave the ball to Demetri Felton and Joshua Kelly and Austin Burton. For for the life of me, I don't know what's going on with UCLA defensively. I mean, you run for almost 200-plus yards. Your quarterback doesn't have a turnover, at least in, through the air. He doesn't he, – he 27 of 41, not a great night, but it's not terrible. Uh, he threw for 236. You do. You look at. You go through the stats and you go, well, what happened? And you obviously Oregon State put up twenty-one to nothing in the first, and that kind of tells the story. Because if you go throughout the rest of the game, it was pretty evenly matched. Oregon State really just punched UCLA in the mouth to start off the ball game, and it was over after that. UCLA just did not have the firepower to come back. I would like to tip my cap to their starting quarterback though, who decided to go eighteen to twenty-six, two eighty-five, and five touchdowns. Um, against that UCLA defense that's probably the best night of his career so far and uh, definitely probably one player of the week for uh, Oregon State but I mean you're right Scott UCLA's defense is like thin paper it's awful (laughs) it's just I mean there's not words I can say that would I'd like to put on this podcast it's the cheap toilet paper it's rough and it doesn't stop anything it's it's gas station toilet paper it's awful (laughs) gas station toilet paper uh, I think I think that's a good, accurate description. One game that we did get right, or uh, Nick, the model got right, because uh, I didn't pick it right. I had Auburn in this game. Um, you know, uh, Florida beats Auburn, and um, it wasn't really a close game. 24 to 13, uh, you know, Jatarvius Whitlow did get banged up in this one. But, I mean, no excuses. Florida's down to the third-string quarterback. So, um uh, uh, what? How did this game play out to you? So, uh, to, you know, to be honest, it, it played out pretty similarly to how we expected. Our, our projected final score was Florida twenty-seven, Auburn twenty, uh, which, which in today's college football is is a fairly low-scoring game. Uh, but obviously, the way it played out was uh, even more so. Uh, Florida still struggling to consistently run the football. Uh, Michael P. Ryan broke off an 88-yard uh, touchdown run that that really was the final nail in the coffin. But otherwise, you know, the Gators just haven't really been able to get it going on the ground. Uh, but, uh, you know, they have 
uh, found a way to, to, you know, with Kyle Trask in there, uh, who also was banged up. Fortunately, he looks like he'll be able to, to come back for uh, the big game against LSU this week. But um, yeah, you know, Florida d- defensively, they made Bo Nix look like a true freshman. Um, they, you know, were able to, to put pressure on him. They were able to uh, force turnovers. And, and um, yeah, it, it was good to see Florida rise to the occasion uh, to, to, you know, prove us right there uh, with, with the model. That was, that was definitely a, a feather in the cap uh, for our numbers uh, last week. So good to see. Uh, but Florida, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, definitely still has some questions to answer if they're really going to push uh, for that upper tier in the SEC. What do you think of this one, Xavier? This was a uh, a fun game to watch, and Bo Nix got a new nickname of Bo Picks. Uh, definitely deserves the name Bo Picks after this one. I mean, three interceptions. He finally looked like the freshman we thought he might look like in the uh, in the Oregon game. Um, but you know, the one thing I think I definitely chose Auburn to win this game. The one thing I didn't take into account was how raucous the swamp can get sometimes. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it. This was Bo Nick's first real road game. And he looked like it. Um, you know, obviously Whitlow getting hurt hurt them a lot because they obviously couldn't, you know, look to him. I know he went to College Station and played well, but obviously when in College Station, Auburn, you know, really, really, really um, – rode on the back of Whitlow in that ball game, and they just weren't able to do it against this Florida defense. I think it was very impressive from the Florida defense that they were able to get this done without some of their starters on defense still. Uh, they weren't even all the way healthy, and I think that that's got to be scary when you look at the uh, the LSU game coming up, and I know we'll talk about that later, that they do get some of their pieces back, um, especially on the front four, that are going to be able to – are going to try to get after Burrow. Uh, but Auburn, Bo Minix, you got it's time to go back to the drawing board. Their season's not over yet. It's one of those things where they've got a schedule left with L- LSU in two weeks. They've got Georgia in four weeks, and they've got Alabama in six weeks. So they're, they're not done yet, um, but they've definitely got to make sure that they keep Bo Nix upright. And unfortunately for them, they play their, their next big game is on the road again. So Bo Nix, short-term memory, the swamp was one thing. Now you got to go to Death Valley. Good luck. <laughs> it sounds like someone behind you was looking at the uh, the upcoming Auburn schedule and was very offended. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, let's before we get to week seven here, Nick. Why don't you tell us how uh, how CFB Winning Edge looked in week six? Because I think it was pretty successful this week. Yeah, overall, um, you know, and we've touched on it briefly already the the games that we talked about in detail last week we actually uh the model picked those uh against the spread we we always test our model against the spread each week and and sort of see where uh our successes are see what things maybe aren't uh quite right as far as our numbers go and and just sort of degrade ourselves but um those of you interested in looking at those things ahead of time uh, you know, check us out, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge, because uh, our, our numbers in those games were 4-1 and one against the spread uh, last week. But even in broader terms, we've got three key areas that I've been tracking since uh, started doing this last year. And, and these were our three really big successful areas uh, in 2018. And, and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, got off to a little bit of a slow start. But last, uh, really the last two weeks, uh, these, th- these three uh, sort of points of pride have really, really 
taken off. So the first one we look at is false favorites. So if our model actually projects a different team to win compared to the Las Vegas oddmakers. Um, in the last two weeks, we're 9-1, and one, both straight up and against the spread, in those games. So uh, we've had some where, you know, the, the Vegas uh, odds makers, the, the, the final line or the line that we uh, compare ourselves to, which is roughly 24 hours before kickoff, um, might be four or five points. But uh, we've had a different favorite, and, and that favorite's won nine of the last ten games. So uh, we're definitely happy to see that. Uh, the second is in games uh, featuring two ranked teams. Um, those are obviously the biggest games of the week. Those are the ones that we're going to talk a lot about on most podcasts and and uh, really the ones that take up a lot of media attention throughout the course of the week. In the last two weeks, we're 4-1 and one in those games. So really, really happy to see that. And then finally... Uh, when a ranked team plays a power five opponent. So a similar situation um, and, and the last two weeks were 14, 10 and one in those games. So all three uh, have, have really um, taken off the last three weeks. All three are looking pretty good overall for the year. So uh, what that tells me is the things that we're, we're really focusing on are our player ratings, uh, seeing which teams are actually more talented player by player and position by position. Uh, we're starting to see that play out in, you know, the, the, the last few weeks and over the first half of the season. So pretty pleased with that. Uh, overall, we do pick all games that feature uh, FBS versus FBS opponents. We're still hovering around 50% in all games. Would like to see that uh, climb a little higher to 53%. But honestly, these are the three categories we're, we're really most interested in. And, and uh, you know, so far we're, we're uh, really seeing the model uh, respond well to those. Perhaps uh, we're due for a downturn. It's, it's always possible, but uh, overall, pretty confident in, in no how things are shaping up it. the last few weeks. No, yeah, knock on some wood, Nick. Yeah. Please, come on, like, <laughs> we, we just got on the right track. Let's I always want to, you know, I want to be realistic. We we are. Uh, we always, you know, mention it at the end of the at the end of the show, but uh, we are, of course, interested in folks that are are you know would like to support us. Check us out on Patreon.com/slash/CFBWinningEdge and and take a look at some of the things that we have to offer there. Some of which are these final score projections for all the games. So you know, people have have different interests in what they might you know, want access to those uh, final scores for. I don't want to inflate things too much. I don't want to sound too, uh, you know, touty or, or too uh, whatever. But uh, it, it does make me, you know, uh, feel pretty good that we're heading in the right direction on, on especially the last two weeks. But seeing as how the, the full season has gone so far for for these biggest games so happy to see that right exactly well let's uh step into week seven here and uh we've got all of the big games we're covering here i mean these are all huge ones so uh we're picking the ones that you're going to want to watch on the television this weekend mm -hmm. we're going to start out with this big 10 matchup of michigan state on the road at wisconsin wisconsin is a ten and a half point favorite this opened up at nine and a half uh, so opened up a little bit there. And then this, the over under is 40. It opened up at 42 and a half. So I think people are expecting 
you know, obviously a lot of the run game, a lot. Jonathan Taylor had five mm-hmm. touchdowns last week, and Elijah Collins is the good part of Michigan State's offense. Not that they can't pass, but he it has been good over the last few weeks outside of the Ohio State game, of course. So, Nick, how do we see this Wisconsin uh, hosting Michigan State game playing out? Well, you know, if, if you're Michigan State, you're not really happy with how the schedule makers have set this up for you. You had to go to... <laughs> Ohio State last week played one of the hottest teams in the country, arguably the most talented team in the country, player for player. Um, and, you know, you, then you have to turn around and, and play. Uh, uh, Wisconsin has, has certainly taken me by surprise. I mean, I they, they uh, shot out like a cannon at the beginning of the season. So, um, you know, everybody is, is aware now, but I certainly didn't see Wisconsin playing like a top 10 team. And, and at this point in the season, I mentioned team performance uh, earlier in the year. Wisconsin is is playing like a top seven team. We have them ranked seventh in our team performance ratings so far this year. Uh, non-conference opponents scored exactly zero points against the Badgers um, in, in those three non-conference games, which is incredibly impressive. They're leading the country in scoring defense and, and ranked really, really high in a lot of defensive categories. But uh, their offense has been great as well. The, the two combined – uh, one of the the key metrics that I look at is net yards per play. So when you take the amount of uh, yards per play that Wisconsin's averaged offensively, subtract the yards per play their defense has allowed, they're at plus 3.27 yards, which is sixth best in the country. So uh, Wisconsin's playing like a top 10 team across the board. Uh, the offense, aside from uh, Northwestern, which, as we've talked about several times, is, is you know, can make a, a team look uh, uglier than perhaps it should be. Other than that, Wisconsin's been clicking on all cylinders. So um, we expect uh, Wisconsin to keep it rolling, you know, to be honest, and, and uh, do have them favored to win this game, actually have them favored to uh, cover slightly. We have the Badgers as an 11-point favorite. Michigan State is uh, in some ways similar to Northwestern, can uh, rise up to an opponent, can pull that opponent down a level. Um, but back-to-back road games, very difficult. The offense has taken a step back after starting pretty well uh, at the beginning of the season. So uh, it's going to be cold up in Madison. It, it doesn't look like we're going to have any wintry weather or anything there, but uh, expect a low-scoring game. We have the final is 21-10 Wisconsin. Yeah, we're, we're finally moving into the area of the season where weather is going to start taking effect i mean it hasn't for me yet of course you know uh still ni- 95 when i went out we're under the triple digits wow. which is nice but yesterday it was 95 so uh just the way it goes when you live in the desert xavier how do you see this uh this nice matchup of wisconsin versus michigan state playing out well this game for me is huge for wisconsin and my confidence in how good wisconsin is um obviously we saw them blow out michigan in and you know in the fashion in which they did but for me this is really a bigger test and the reason why that is is because now they have expectation i feel like going into the michigan game they they kind of went into that game almost people were expecting them to to not to, to at least for it to be close now they have the expectation of being the challenger to ohio state um and i think that this game in particular is big for them because of how much and how much the styles between Michigan State and Wisconsin are almost the exact same. You're going to see a lot of ground and pound. 
Um, whoever, you know, wears the other defense down is probably going to win this ball game. Each quarterback is probably going to have to make some big throws. Not a lot of throws, but the throws that they do have to make are going to be huge in, the, in the, the fabric of this ball game. When I look at Wisconsin, I look at a team that, you know, is going to ride Jonathan Taylor until the wheels fall off. Uh, and can he get it started early. I think if this game, if you let Michigan State uh, hang around, their confidence will begin to rise. I think what they have to do is the same thing they did against Michigan, where they went and they you know, bludgeoned them early, and Michigan can never recover. Um, if you get this Michigan State team down, they don't have the offense to come back, um, which is why I'm going to pick Wisconsin. This, it's in Camp Randall. Uh, I know I picked Michigan State to win the Big Ten earlier in the preseason, although that's not coming to fruition at the moment. Um, I think Wisconsin at home is just too much of a formidable foe. Um, And Jonathan Taylor has shown me no sign of slowing down as of yet. Um, And I think a big game from him is going to happen. I think Michigan State's defense is good, but I think their their offense just doesn't have enough. And that defense having to be on the field for we're going to be, you know, 10, 12, 14 play drives is going to be exhausting. And by fourth quarter, you're just going to see Jonathan Taylor running by himself um, down the middle of the field. So Yeah, it might not not even be Jonathan Taylor at that point, to be honest with you, if the score gets away. So I'm absolutely with you on this one. And it's funny because most of the time when you're playing the money line, you want to take the underdog because it pays better. You know, it's plus 200 or whatever. Uh, 84% of the money is still going on Wisconsin straight up in this game, not even against the spread. And like I said, most of the time you want to take the underdog because it's going to pay you more. Uh, And that is just not the case in this game. And one of the other games uh, as well um, this week, Uh, moving on here to USC at Notre Dame, Nick, this one, uh, Notre Dame is an 11 point favorite. This one opened at 10, the under uh, shifted lower as well. It opened at 62. It's currently at 59. And uh, I mean, I feel like this line should be bigger. I don't think that USC is going to hang around with Notre Dame at all. They do get Keaton Slovis back, but I don't know how much of a difference you go from having Slovis to Fink or JT Daniels, to be honest with you, any any of the three of them. I don't know that there's a giant difference in this game. Notre Dame is still Notre Dame, and I think they are going to beat down USC pretty bad, especially at home. So how do you see this playing out? Well, so uh, the, your your opinion is certainly uh, lines up with what the model is, is telling us. So uh, we actually have Notre Dame favored by 19 in this one, and and that's that that game jumped out to me because of of that number. I did not expect uh, I expected Notre Dame to to be favored, but I did not expect nearly three touchdowns. Uh, USC has really really been banged up in the secondary. Uh, in addition to to losing Keaton Slovis, who let's not forget, even though they do get him back, which is uh, a positive thing, um, he is one the backup quarterback and two a true freshman. So uh, they they are getting Slovis back. That is um, a good thing. If if you're USC, he has shown flashes of of the you know quarterback that he can. B, but then he's also looked like a true freshman. He threw three interceptions against BYU not that long ago. That was his only other uh, appearance on the road, his only other start on the road. So uh, going to Notre Dame, which again, it will be chilly and at night uh, in South Bend. So coming from uh, Southern California, a bit of a different uh, you know, different, different experience there. So uh, it, it certainly, uh, because of 
those things because USC, though it is coming off a uh, a bye week, they are getting a little bit healthier. I know that uh, they had a, a safety um, who was out the previous game with a concussion who will be back. Uh, so that that's a positive sign. There are a couple of other starters in the secondary that have missed time. Uh, hopefully they will be able to, to get healthy quick and, and come back in this game. But even if everybody were healthy, uh, our, our numbers really like Notre Dame in this game. Uh, one thing that that did jump out to me, though, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, cautious of. Ian Book at certain time, uh, certain times this year has really, really been impressive. But I was going through and, and sort of looking through his game log, and it dawned on me that when he was – his most impressive 10 of his 13 touchdowns came against New Mexico and Bowling Green. Uh, he's been really, really, uh, he's just put up really modest numbers against power five teams. I mean, he, he has thrown for fewer than 200 yards against both Louisville and uh, Virginia. He did throw for 275 against Georgia, but he attempted 47 passes and he also threw two picks in that game. So um, it, it's a little it's got me a little bit concerned that book has not looked great against talented uh, opponents. And, you know, love or hate USC or, or you know, love or hate the, the job that Clay Helton has done. The team is talented. Uh, USC ranks 16th in our roster strength ratings which is just below Notre Dame so player for player these teams match up quite well so use that as a caveat uh we probably do need to see book step up and have uh perhaps his best game against a power 5 opponent for our prediction to uh you know come about it also was good i saw a note earlier today Jafar Armstrong it seems is going to be healthy enough uh, that should hopefully help Notre Dame, the Notre Dame running game a little bit and, and also give Book another option out of the backfield in, in the passing game. So uh, our, num- our, our, our model likes Notre Dame to win 40 to 21. Uh, I'm intend to agree. I think Notre Dame will win this game. Um, I'm a little hesitant, though, to think that they're going to open it up quite that much. I uh, I agree with the model on this, and I dislike both these teams. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Xavier, how do you see uh, the Fighting Irish and the Trojans here playing out? A, mat- a matchup I'm really looking forward to seeing is the Notre Dame DBs against the uh, USC receivers. Um, when you look at this, when you look at Notre Dame secondary, they've only been tested really once this year. Um, against Virginia and they gave up over 300 yards passing two touchdowns and they did get themselves two interceptions. Uh, I feel like this, the secondary is, is wildly untested. Um, and I know that they came in with a lot of accolades from previous years. Uh, but I feel like it's, it's rather unproven to an extent. I, I want to see that matchup because you have such amazing players on USC's team, especially the receiver position with guys like Michael Pittman, when I'm looking at, you know, in the quarterback position, he's just going to, for the most part, Slovis is going to give his receivers chances to catch the football, you know, from Amon St. Brown, Tyler Vons, Michael Pittman Jr. All these guys are going to get opportunities to make plays and it's going to be up to the Notre Dame corners, which are the biggest. That's another thing is that Notre Dame's corners aren't very tall. Um, And so for me, that's the big matchup. And if Notre Dame can 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 win that matchup and can keep uh, USC's receivers at bay, then they're going to win this game by a lot. However, we saw in the Utah game Utah against USC, 
that Utah wasn't able to keep USC's receivers under wraps and USC was able to hang around and ultimately win that ball game. So for me, that's the biggest matchup in this um, in this game. I think Notre Dame should be able to hold their own against a USC team that is talented but doesn't necessarily have the requisite experience to go along with that talent. And they're at home, which should give them an added boost as well. I think Nick makes great points about Ian Book. I just think that at home, you, you expect a guy who has played – you know, as many big games as he has, you know, being at home to to perform adequate enough for his team to win. You know, I don't think he'll do anything for him for to, to lose the game for Notre Dame. Um, and so that's why I've got Notre Dame. I don't know if I have them in a big win um, simply because of the fact that I think USC is going to, to put all of their eggs in this one basket um, for this ball game. I think they've given up someone on the Pac-12 and this is their game uh, this year. And uh, I think that that being the case, their only prime or one of their only prime time matchups of the of the year. I think you're going to see USC put you know throw balls to the wall and hopefully come away with a win. But Notre Dame at home, you can't pick against them. Not the way that they've been rolling, not recently. Yeah, I I like I like Notre Dame in this game by a significant margin. I I didn't even see the score before I said that, but I think 19 points is about right. I think about three touchdowns is what it's going to be. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, I, I would like it to play closer, you know, to be a fun game to watch. I just don't know if I would bet on that. How about uh, <laughs> Penn State uh, going on the road against Iowa? This game makes me feel queasy because I think <laughs> after last week, I think you would say, oh, Penn State, 100% going to win this game. I mean, this is not a not a close game. Iowa lost to Michigan. Michigan hasn't looked good this year. And uh, Penn State has looked good in uh, pretty much all their games so far this season. Obviously, they had the close call against Pitt. But other than that, uh, they've looked good. But I don't know that they've really been tested. You know, they played Idaho week one, Buffalo. Pitt was a close game. They smacked Maryland in Maryland. And they beat a Purdue team that's down to pretty much all freshmen at this point. So, they definitely haven't been tested, and the next two weeks are going to be the tough ones for them. You know, Iowa and Michigan coming up on the schedule here. I feel like Iowa's going to win this game, and I feel like their defense is stronger than uh, what Penn State has to offer on offense. So I think this is going to be a really close, lower-scoring type of a game, and Iowa's going to come out the winner uh, but I know that I'm probably on an island here. So, Nick, how do you see this one playing out? Well, so uh, this game is really interesting. And, and uh, for, for whatever reason, the Big Ten Network is kind of my default right now. Uh, I, I really like the big show, the the show that they've got pretty much every day, I think. Uh, whenever whenever I'm you know eating my my breakfast and, and just sort of throw something on in the background. That's sort of my go-to. So I've gotten a lot of uh, just sort of Big Ten talk uh, this season. And despite that, I, I for what I really hadn't developed an opinion of Penn State much. And, and part of the reason is because other than the Pitt game, they've really just had their way with opponents and it hasn't seemed like uh i mean you mentioned you know have have they been tested uh, uh you know you, you look through the names on the schedule and it's like who who have they played uh but we also have to remember that maryland has looked great at times this year especially offensively and penn state shut them out uh pitt uh was held to 10 points which 
Pitt has beaten UCF. Uh, we just saw him uh, win a, a really weird game against Duke. So Pitt is four and two now, I think, and and looks like a playoff or a, a, a bowl team. Looks like a potential contender again in the coastal. So maybe that win is a little bit better than we initially thought. Purdue last week, absolutely, Purdue was ravaged by injury, uh, and, but Penn State jumped out twenty-eight to nothing. Uh, almost from the beginning and then just sort of cruised from there. So uh, I I haven't made up a firm opinion of Penn State, but as I was digging into uh, some research for a couple of things I'm writing this week and then also uh, for our podcast today, it's dawned on me that, you know what, I should be impressed by Penn State's defense. If, If nothing else, they have played incredibly on the defensive side of the football. So a couple of numbers that jump out. All caveats aside based on, you know, are these teams actually good? But Penn State has allowed 232 total yards in Big Ten play. And that's not average. That's total. So between Maryland and Purdue, who coming into the – Coming into the year, we would have expected both of those teams are, are above average on offense and, and even, you know, based on some of the things we've seen. Uh, Penn State has held those teams to fewer than 130 total yards in each of those games. Uh, Maryland averaged 2.2 yards per snap and Purdue averaged 1.86. Uh, Purdue was held under zero rushing yards, uh, and that's just barely the the best performance the Penn State defense has has put up. They allowed four rushing yards to Idaho. They allowed 24 to Pitt, and they allowed 60 to uh, Maryland. So Penn State, you know, regardless of who you're playing, those are pretty incredible defensive numbers. So I I was a bit surprised when our model actually projected Iowa to score 21 points because we saw them uh, really look bad offensively against Michigan last week. They've been hit or miss on offense uh, in earlier games this year. So uh, to see Penn State projected to win 26-21 was a little bit of a surprise because that shows that the Hawkeyes you know, will, will need to have the best offensive performance of any team against uh, against the Nittany Lions this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, another uh, little nugget that, that jumped out to me, James Franklin is 0-6 on the road against ranked teams at Penn State. And and I'm not usually a trends guy. I'm not usually, you know, what happened four years ago doesn't really have any impact on uh, what's going to happen Saturday night. But it's also worth noticing that in those games, Penn State's lost by an average of 24.2 points. So, so far, James Franklin really hasn't shown that he can consistently get Penn State, you know, up to uh, the level of, of playing in a tough road environment against a good team. And I do think Iowa is a good team. I think they uh, have some excellent uh, players on defense, specifically A.J. Epinesa is, is a All-American first round draft pick kind of guy. Um, and, and they, you know, can do some good things. They're getting a little healthier in the secondary. I know that's been an issue. So I, I'm a little bit concerned that, uh, you know, our, our model expects Iowa to, to, to score that much, but, uh, you know, we do see Penn state covering. Um, I think right now they're a three and a half point, 
uh, favorite. We've got him projected to win by five. So should be a close game, should be a fun one. Uh, but we do have Penn State coming out ahead, and, and it's because of that defense. What do you think about this one, Xavier? I mean, this one, Nick, Nick just made the case for Penn State. I still, uh, I don't know. Like I'm I, with you, Scott. I'm a little more convinced, uh, but I just, I don't. I'm convinced it's going to be closer than I think, but I still, I still think I want to pick Iowa here. I'm, I'm with you, Scott. I think that this game, when you look at it, it can go one or two ways, and depending on how it goes, is in either team's favor. When I look at Iowa, I look at a team that's going to want to keep it close. They're going to want to, you know, control the clock. They're want to going to keep the hands out of Penn State's. Uh, offense's hands, and they're going to want to to make this a low-scoring ball game. Um, when I look at Penn State, I look at a team that's going to want to fly, a team that's going to want to continue averaging 30-plus points as they have in four out of the five games that they've played this year. But I, I don't know. It's in Iowa. I'm going to have to go with the Hawkeyes here. I, when, I, when I look at Penn State's schedule, I don't trust them yet. You know, the only game I can look to that they won that even gives me a little bit of hope is the Pittsburgh game. And in that game, they won 17 to 10. If this game comes down to 17 to 10, I'm going Iowa all the way. Um, I know last week they lost. And, and more so than anything, I think Iowa's the more battle tested team at this point. They're coming off of a tough loss to Michigan on the road where literally a touchdown was the separating dif- was, was the difference. Um, they, they, they barely beat an Iowa State team on the road. You know, and, and the rest of their schedule is, is rather cupcakey as well. But when I look at Iowa, at least at home, I trust them more to get it done. Um, you know, Nick beat me to the punch. I was going to bring up the James Franklin trend. But um, <laughs> I, I think that I don't think Iowa's going to beat them by 24 plus. I, I don't know if Iowa even has that kind of offensive capability in them to do that this year. They've only done it. One, oh, OK, they've done it three times. Excuse me. So maybe they do. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I see Iowa just really you know, honing in on that offense that I believe hasn't been tested yet all year by a good enough defense. No disrespect to Pittsburgh's defense at all, but you did just give up 30 points to Duke um, and you haven't played well all year either. You've had your up and down games as well. Iowa at home. I'm going with Iowa. Scott, you and I are going to take this one. I know you did an amazing (laughs) job of trying to sway us to the other side, but I'm going to have to go with the Hawkeyes on this one. And I don't even know if I mentioned the the spread and, and the over here. So, Penn State's favored by three and a half and 41 and a half is the over. I think it goes way under on that score. I think this is a classic style, big 10 grinded out run game type of a, a matchup here. And I think that way, because I think it has to be for Iowa to win. If uh, I do think that if Penn State wins this game, uh, it'll probably go over. So it just depends on how the game flow goes and uh you know where where it ends up but i'm going to be looking at that one pretty hard uh but the one i'm going to be watching the most of as you guys know is the red river shootout and uh my longhorns are playing the oklahoma sooners who are 11 point favorites the over is 76 points in this game (laughs) gigantic over here guys i mean nick how do you see this one playing out Scott, I, I don't think you're going to like it. Uh, <laughs> well, just so because far. it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so uh, we've been pretty high on Oklahoma all year. Or, or excuse me, 
the model has been pretty high on Oklahoma all year. Our, our numbers love the Sooners. In fact, uh, the, for the third time bringing up team performance ratings, Oklahoma is the number one team in the country, according to our team performance ratings. So they have played like the number one team in the country, according to our numbers. And, and uh, a big reason for that, obviously, is just the offense is unreal. Jalen Hurts has been incredible. I think he probably should be considered the Heisman front runner at, at this point. I know it's not clear cut. I know there are some uh, some other guys certainly in the mix, but the things he has done statistically this year are are just incredible. Uh, and, and it's uh, strange to think, but at this point, Oklahoma looks maybe even a little bit better than they did with either Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield, uh, at least, you know, offensively. And, and uh, the the thing that sort of separates the Sooners this year, defensively, they've really taken a step forward. Um, I, I was shocked to learn uh, the last time I, I ran our uh, position rankings and Oklahoma actually has one of the most talented defenses in the country, according to our numbers. So, so according to VGR Plus and, and our roster strength ratings, Oklahoma has the number one most talented defense in the country. And, and so something maybe is just, as you mentioned, may, maybe it's just wrong. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you know, something in the, in the, uh, the formula is, is not quite right, but... Uh, they rank number one in defensive line strength. They rank fifth at the linebacker position and seventh in the secondary. Uh, Put it all together, and that's the number one defense in the country as far as our main talent metric goes. And and I don't know that I believe it. You know, hadn't really seen uh, a dominant defense from Oklahoma uh, even this year. But I, I have pulled up on my screen uh, sort of the, the side-by-side of the, the last five uh, games for both of these teams, and it's interesting to look at the final scores and, and specifically how many points each team has allowed. So last week, Kansas scored 20 against Oklahoma. Not great uh, for, for Oklahoma. You, you really should. Uh, they, they should have put Kansas away uh, much better easier than they did, but perhaps there was a little bit of a look ahead there. Uh, The previous week, they beat Texas Tech 55-16. Before that, UCLA scored 14. Obviously, UCLA's had their issues, but they've really taken a step forward offensively in recent weeks. Perhaps they were even a little bit better than we thought they were. South Dakota, they were held to 14. FCS team, but, you know, still decent performance. And then they allowed 31 to Houston. So that was the the worst performance of it. But then on the other side, you're looking at Texas, and, and we expected Texas really to be, I know they had to replace a lot of uh, talent on defense, but probably expected Texas to be a better defense than Oklahoma in the preseason as far as, you know, the statistics go and, and things like that. But Texas allowed 31 points to West Virginia last week. They allowed 30 points to Oklahoma State. Rice scored 13. Okay, good. Uh, they allowed 45 in the loss to LSU, and uh, then of course they they held Louisiana Tech pretty pretty well, allowed 14 points there. So, uh, what's the best are, team that Oklahoma's played? The best team Oklahoma's played at this point. It's a good question. Probably Texas Tech, and, and how that's good not is Texas a Texas Tech. <laughs> Texas Tech ranks uh, about. 
uh, 60 up in our in our team strength rating. So not great. And, but, and I'm not trying to do that to, to crap on Oklahoma. This is the problem that I talked about before the season started was mm. if Texas isn't good and Oklahoma beats Texas twice, but everybody else kind of sucks. Uh, like is is this a case where an undefeated Oklahoma team could not get in the tournament? I it's it's rare, and we talked about that on that show. It's doubtful. Like they're undefeated, they're probably going in the tournament. But I think it's going to be one of those situations. Like if they stomp Texas, and then you know maybe Texas is good enough to get back to the Big Twelve championship, uh, then you know maybe maybe not. Maybe uh, th- this Oklahoma team is. They're good, but they're never really tested. So that's kind of, I think going into this game, they haven't been tested. And uh, if they beat Texas, I don't know, you know, uh, and this is coming from a Texas fan. I don't know how much it says. I just don't. Sure. So, sure. It's a, it's a, obviously it's a fair point. I mean, and, you know, Oklahoma has not, uh, you're right. They have not really been tested this year. But I, my thought on it, I, I have been impressed with uh how well oklahoma has just put teams away and last week was a a slight exception because we would have expected oklahoma to beat kansas um you know worse than they did but even then it was still you know the, the the outcome was never in doubt oklahoma uh showed it was the better team after falling behind in the uh the opening uh, series when when Kansas went down to score, Oklahoma just dominated the the next you know half hours worth of, of game time, and then Kansas was able to to uh, make it a little bit more respectable there at the end. So uh, I've been very impressed with Oklahoma. Like I said, they're they're number one in our team performance ratings. Uh, they're number one in net yards per play. They've been out gaining opponents by four and a half yards per play, which is pretty incredible. Um, they, they have allowed five and a half, uh, yards per play defensively and, and Texas is going to get yards. Texas is going to put up points, but, uh, I think that the defense has taken a step forward. I think they are, uh, they're probably not as talented maybe as our numbers, uh, see them now. Uh, they're, they're a talented defense and, and they're taking a step forward. I'm, I'm fairly confident that Oklahoma will win the game. Uh, I know that Texas has, has pulled a couple of upsets in the last few years, but uh, the way our, our model sees it, Oklahoma uh, should come out ahead somewhere in the range of 45 to 26. Xavier, how do you see this game playing out? I mean, I know most people are going with Oklahoma, uh, which is not surprising. Oklahoma's the favorite, and like, <laughs> like uh, Nick said, they've looked good, but how do you see it playing out? Uh, Scott. Uh, you know, I, I love you, buddy, but I don't mm-hmm. see this game being very close. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. When I see, when I look at Oklahoma, and I know they haven't been challenged or tested all year as of right now. Obviously, this is gonna be their first test, and Texas obviously has had their game against LSU. Um, however, when I look at both teams, there's just so much talent on Oklahoma's roster, and for once, for the first time, I think in my lifetime, I trust. I, I somewhat trust their defense to not give up you know 35 plus to teams that they shouldn't be doing it and they haven't outside of the houston game where they gave up 30 plus points to them that's all garbage uh, time though <laughs> game. right and so and so when i look at oklahoma i look at a team that 
for the first time, looks mostly complete. I'm still, obviously, this game for me is huge in the grand scheme of things because I don't know how good their defense actually is, and I won't know until Saturday. Uh, but Texas's defense is the reason why I don't like them in this ballgame. They gave up 31 to West Virginia, 30 to Oklahoma State, and 38 to, and uh, 45 to LSU. All three of those teams, you could argue, don't have a good, don't have nearly the same kind of offense that Oklahoma has. And coming into this ball game, I know it's a rivalry game, so you pretty much throw up, throw out everything. But um, Texas's defense just worries me too much. If this was genuinely just a shootout, I could see myself picking Texas. Um, they have the offense to go toe to toe with this Oklahoma team, but. Who, who do I think is going to get more stops? Oklahoma. Oh, and the other thing, the one thing that we didn't talk about on Twitter this week was that a lot of <laughs> Texas fans were butthurt about what Jalen Hurts had to say about the fact that he's played in the Iron Bowl and that he's not worried about the Red River rivalry. And I will Well, he shouldn't that. be. He's also played the national title game. Thank like, you. I don't Thank understand why you. people are getting so butthurt about that. I don't like, first of all, maybe it's a different atmosphere in the Texas and uh, Oklahoma game because it's at the Texas State Fair. It's at a neutral site. Half the stadium is filled with Texas people. Half is filled with Oklahoma people. So it's just different than the Iron Bowl. Iron Bowl is either at Alabama or at Auburn every year. And, and uh, it, it's got its own tradition. And, it's, and, you know, they like to kill trees and all kinds of stuff in that one. So uh, in ours, we like to go have a great time at the fair and then enjoy a game so you know uh, uh he's played in bigger games he's played in the in the tournament he's played in uh sec championship games this isn't the biggest game that he's played by like eight or nine games so i had no problem with that so and i'm tired of the horns down people crying too i just like <laughs> it, I, i'm sick of that too it's not that big a deal like uh you know if you're gonna have a goofy uh horns up which i love you can't be surprised when your rival teams are the other teams way down that, that, that you're playing are, are going to do the horns down. I do not care. Like, you know, you want to stop them, beat them, shut them up. So yeah. uh, that, that's that's how I, I see playing out. So segueing to the next game, you never see Florida fans complaining about other people doing the ch- uh, doing the uh, the Gator Chomp when no. they're getting their butts handed to them. No, you don't. And just my final uh, thought here is I do think this game is going to turn into a shootout because I don't think Oklahoma's defense is nearly as good I, I just don't think it can improve that much from last year to this year, and it was trash last year. Oklahoma's defense was bad. I don't think they've really been tested, so I think this is going to turn into a shootout. So I see it more of a coin flip than an 11-point, you know, or you know, even bigger in what uh, the model at CFB Winning Edge has. So, so Scott, one, one question, one thing that I look at when I'm uh, breaking down a game— uh, how does Texas win? How does what what can Texas do to pull the upset? Where where is the edge that they've got in this game? Uh, it's it's on offense. It's uh, by scoring points down the field and getting turnovers. I don't think they're not going to not allow points. That's going to happen. Like they are going to allow Oklahoma to score, and Oklahoma's going to score. It's stripping the ball. Uh, picking the ball off, something like that. It has to be a turnover. And Kyler Murray didn't uh, give up a bunch of turnovers. Then I think he had three in the Red River shootout last year. I specifically remember the one, uh, the the fumble where he just kind of laid it on the ground last mm. year. So, and uh, you know, Oklahoma adjusted and was much better in the second game. Uh, and I think that Hertz is less likely to do that. But if I see this game playing as a shootout, I think you know. If Sam Ellinger doesn't throw a pick, which he threw his first one in a while last week, 
Uh, if he doesn't throw a pick and Texas can hold on to the ball, they can win. It's don't turn the ball and get a turnover too. Uh, and I think they can win because I think they're definitely going to put up points on Oklahoma because I don't think their defense is as good as it's being made out to be or has played this year. And that's part of the I was asking you, you know, who have they played? They played mm-hmm. Texas Tech, you know, when they're kind of transitioning in their quarterback from Bowman or Bowman might even got hurt in that game. I can't remember which one. It well, was. Uh, uh, Tyner started and then Duffy came in. So, right. Yeah, they were they were. Uh, not settled at quarterback yet. Right. Absolutely. They were playing their best opponent, didn't even have their starting quarterback settled. <laughs> so it's fair. Uh, it's a fair point. I don't think they're as good as they're being made out to be, but, you know, uh, you know, Oklahoma can win by 20 and ruin my entire day. So we'll see. <laughs> but uh, let's get to this matchup like Xavier talked about. It's Florida at LSU. Uh, in this game, LSU is a 13 and a half point favorite. Uh, 55 and a half is the over. And Nick, I'm not sure about the quarterback situation at Florida. What is Trask back? How is that? Uh, how is that going to play out? I don't think yeah. so. Didn't he snap his ankle or was that, am I getting No, that no, he, he, uh, you know, he definitely took a, a, an awkward hit, but he came back, uh, in last week's game. Oh, did he? So okay. I, I guess he came back in the game. Uh, Emory Jones played for, for a bit and, you know, Emory Jones offers Florida uh, perhaps, uh, you know, an, an upgrade in some ways because uh, you throw the quarterback run as a possibility and, and um, you know, he, he's dangerous. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing Emory Jones. I'm actually a little bit surprised at, at sort of how things have played out that Trask is the unquestioned starter. I thought we'd see a little bit more of a rotation. I thought Jones might even challenge for that spot. But, you know, Trask has, has played pretty well. He's thrown the ball uh, really well. And and if he's healthy, he he seems that he will be uh, the unquestioned starter coming in. And, and everything I've heard is that um, he's good to go. I, I You know, he might be somewhat limited, maybe some, you know, 90% or, or something like that. But, um, but all indications are that he's going to start this game. And, and, uh, that is a plus for Florida. Again, like we talked about USC though, you know, he's a backup quarterback. So, so you're starting at a, a, a little bit lower level. You're not full strength compared to where we expected Florida to be, uh, in the preseason, but Florida's played pretty well. I mean, they've, they've played, uh, according to our numbers, like a top, top 10 team. And a lot of that is actually on defense. The, the defensive performance last week against Auburn was quite good. Uh, Todd Grantham has uh, put a, a lot of pressure on quarterbacks this year. Um, some of the, the uh, in the past, you know, a lot of his heavy blitzing is, has opened his defenses up to getting gashed on occasion. But so far, they've been able to limit those for the most part and, and really held Auburn in check uh, most of the game and put a lot of pressure on Bo Nix. Joe Burrow hasn't hasn't been put under very much pressure this year, and, and he's played himself into a Heisman conversation. He's actually the second leading passer in the country, which is uh, kind of you know, unfathomable to, to think about um, compared to what we have expected LSU to be or, or what they've been in the past. So uh, it'll be a test. And, and Florida is, I think Xavier touched on this earlier, they're healthier defensively than they've been uh, in several weeks. And, and that's certainly a good sign. Uh, but LSU is, is a much different animal than, uh, Auburn was last week. Auburn has been hit or miss offensively. LSU has been clicking on all cylinders. They look 
practically unstoppable offensively. Um, we expect Florida to, to, you know, have some trouble defending that passing attack and, and LSU's loaded at receiver. They've also got a lot of talent at running back. And, and even though they, you know, haven't really relied on, uh, uh, haven't had to run the football that much, uh, have a little bit more confidence in the LSU running game than I do in Florida's. But, uh, I think Florida, uh, until last week, uh, has been underrated. I think they played better than a lot of people uh, have given them credit for, and it was good to see them, you know, come out and and really uh, play. Uh, they they controlled that game last week, and 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 in my opinion, the the outcome really was never in doubt once they uh, came, you know, once they got up early. So. Um, our, our numbers like LSU to win. Uh, don't expect it to be a, a super close game. Have it roughly about a touchdown uh, margin. Expect it to be pretty high scoring. Uh, hopefully Florida, you know, their, their best chance to, to hang in this game is to be able to uh, run the football a bit. But uh, that's going to be difficult. LSU is uh, also healthier than it's been in a while. They've been without three starters in the front seven for several weeks now. And it seems according to what I've heard that, that all three of those guys are going to be back. So LSU should be uh, a little better defensively than they've been in, in past weeks. So expect uh, this game to uh, be fairly close. LSU should win. Our projected final score is 34, 28. Hopefully it's an exciting game, but uh, at, at this point uh, the Gators, like we talked about with, Michigan State, the schedule makers just didn't do the Gators any favors here. Uh, having to go to Death Valley at night uh, is really, really a tough test, and LSU's clicking on all cylinders. But, you know, funny things can happen sometimes, and, and they should be able to keep it relatively close. Uh, the Florida-LSU game, for me, when I look at this ballgame as a whole, um, I think that Florida... It's Kyle Trask's Bo Nix game um, from last week. Kyle Trask, this is his first time on the road. I know he played in Kentucky. However, this is much more difficult, much better team. Death Valley is much different from playing at Kentucky on the road at night, Death Valley at night. I forget what LSU's overall record is playing at Death Valley at night, but I know it's plus by a lot. Um, and this LSU team, I know the defensive woes scare a lot of fans away from maybe betting on this game, but LSU's offense is ridiculous. And I don't think Florida has the firepower to go head-to-head with LSU. I don't think I've ever said that about an SEC game between two SEC powers going offense toe-to-toe on offense and rather defense. But LSU, in my opinion, has maybe next to Alabama, the most offensive talent in the conference right now. At least that's what that looks like. And I think that's what's going to separate them coming into this game. Um, I think they're going to go start fast. I think Joe Burrow is is a battle-tested QB. And this is his Heisman coming out party if this is, you know, the, if this is going to be the one that does it. Um, against a Florida defense, like I said earlier, that is healthy and has relatively no excuses, at least defensively, for any inefficiencies in this ballgame. LSU should... Uh, win this game. I'm not going to say they're going to win this game handedly, but if they get up early, you know, 14-3, 17-6, somewhere around there, don't be surprised if LSU runs away with this ball game. Uh, like I said, Kyle Trask's first game on the road. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Um, 
and can this LSU offense really cement itself as one of the best offenses in the country against a Florida defense that many think is at least top seven, if not top five or better. Um, but I've got LSU. They're at home. Joe Burrow, like I said, battle tested QB. And that offense has just been clicking on all cylinders and at, at a clip that I never thought I'd see from an LSU ball club. So I've got LSU winning this game. Yeah, I mean, I think that LSU's defense isn't nearly as good as it's been in the last few years. So I would be worried, but Florida is not a high-powered offense. They're a better defensive team. Maybe they can keep it close, but I think this is a it, – it's a bad matchup on both sides for Florida. You know, they're not playing uh, – they're not offensively super skilled, so I don't think they could take advantage of LSU – and the the strength of their defense, the strength of their team is their defense, and I don't know if it's as good as the LSU offense, and I doubt it. So I see this one being an LSU stomping as well. So uh, that is our Week 7 preview. Nick, tell everybody about the Patreon. We still got that deal rolling? Yeah, if, uh, if you're a first-time uh, subscriber, if you are interested in uh, supporting this podcast, supporting uh, the work that we do, uh, sign up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. If you join as a tier one supporter in the month of October, uh, we'll give you tier two access. So uh, you'll get our full FBS uh, team profiles. That's 130 teams with player ratings for every team, unit ratings, uh, we've got coaching ratings, our team performance ratings. All of that stuff is is uh, there on the team profile pages. Uh, we think it's it's pretty good. It's it's led to uh, some good weeks in our testing, as we mentioned at the top of the show. So uh, we also keep track of of injuries and depth chart moves and and all that uh, is located in our team profile. So uh, if you'd like to support us, check us out and uh, take a look at at what we have to offer. And that is it. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E-X-A-V-I-E-R, right? Did I get all that right, Xavier? Yes, sir. (laughs) At Bogman Sports for me, B-O-G-M-A-N Sports, and at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. And good luck with all your bets this week, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. 